Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. And I'm reading from the ESV here. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now the text would go on contextually, you know, that you need to keep, keep reading, but I'm going to stop there, uh, mainly because I don't think I'll finish in time, so we're going to stop right here at, uh, at verse 11. <clears throat> As we discussed already, Paul has um, been dealing with, the, with the, the change that comes over the believer when he has received Christ. And back in chapter 1, we saw there where it says he has transferred us into a new realm from the domain of darkness into the domain of light, or from one kingdom to another. It's a transformation. It's something that is radical, that happens to us. And we need to recognize that. Uh, it's the beginning of a new life. There's, there's nothing that should be appealing to us back there in that domain of darkness. And that's what Paul's dealing with here even in chapter 3. Um, why would you want to go back to that when you've got all of these things that God has promised us in this new life in this new realm of living that you never had before. And so when he says there, you've been raised with Christ, there's an identification there. Now we know that it's not, we haven't been physically raised yet, but there is a raising that has occurred within us. We've gained a new life. Not only that, he says, you've been raised with Christ. And because that is true, because that is the case, then he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. When you think about the resurrection of Christ, that was a, a physical event. His dead body came back to life. And it was truly dead. And yet on the other hand, Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2 that body saw no corruption whatsoever. Bob and I were discussing that a little bit in the restroom there a little while ago about what, what actually took place there. Were the atoms in Christ's body all dead, you know? Well, I think so. He was dead, but he saw no corruption. 
And then God raised him from the dead and brought life back to that body. And because of that, then, Paul's telling the Colossian believers here, that's what happened to you. When you received Christ, when you were transferred from that domain of darkness to this new kingdom of the son of his love, there was a, a raising that took place within you. And you have been given new life. You were dead. He tells us in Ephesians, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Now we've been made alive. It's hard for us to go back and think about that time. Well, for some of us, it was a long time ago. If you became a Christian when you were a child, for me, that was uh, 55 at least plus years ago. And I would be a young bunny compared to some of you. Uh, as far as, I remember one time, I hadn't been in church very long when I dedicated my life to the Lord. And Grandma Blackford, she was the, with sort of like the matriarch of our little congregation. And she stood up one day uh, to give her testimony and said, I've been a Christian for over 50 years. And I, I could have fell out of my pew. I never thought of such a thing in my life that a believer, somebody could be a Christian for that long. Well, now I've arrived. I found out you can do it. Well, that's what happened here. A new life. And I think back to my old way of life. And Paul says, in that life, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You know, I, I was a slave. I had no way to get out. I was trapped. My life would have gone on that way with no change had it not been for hearing the gospel and receiving the life that Jesus has to give each one of us. And it's all due because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It all is due because all of the activity that took place when Christ was crucified, when he suffered, when he endured all that he had to endure in bearing our sins in his body, the scripture says, on the tree. And they're carrying that load of sin for me. Now, of course, John tells us it was for the sins of the whole world. That's everybody. That means you can make a personal application of that to you. It was for me and I'm so grateful <laughs> that day I was sitting in a pew just like you and I, I have my memories are so fleeting of that experience but I can just remember somebody preaching and just I mean he was a fireball too I mean he was going like crazy but I was I was like a lot of kids I just sat in the pew and I just kind of kind of zeroed it out didn't pay a lot of attention and all of a sudden then, I guess it was over, you know, and they were giving an invitation. It was like an evangelistic service, and, and, and our church was really small. We might have held this many of the center section here. And there weren't a lot of folks there, maybe 60, 70, 80, something like that. And there was all kinds of activity going on down here. I just thought the whole church had gone forward. It looked like to me there was just a crowd of people. And I'm sitting in my pew, 
my Sunday school teacher came over and asked me, Alan, do you want to be saved? I had no clue. No clue what she was talking about. I just said yes. So one of the men in the church took me down to the basement in the church where we sat at this old uh, green table. And I remember him there opening the Bible and I don't know what he said. I have no clue. All I remember was crying and praying. You say, well, how do you know that you were a Christian then? How do you know that you were really saved then? Well, I can tell you how I know. It's because on the way home that day, all I could think about was how my life had changed and how, I mean, I actually had a feeling. I felt different. And I knew the transformation had occurred. And it lasted all the way home. And we got home and <clears throat> remember, you, you know, take your Sunday clothes off, put my old clothes on. I remember walking in the front room. There was nobody. We had this big old farmhouse. There was nobody in there but me. And I laid down on the couch. And boy, I just thought, man, is your life different now? I think I've shared this with you before that I, I, I thought, you know, you, you've got to make some changes in your life. I didn't know what. The only thing I could think of was don't take God's name in vain anymore. And so I made a, a, a promise, a commitment to God that I wasn't going to use his name in vain anymore. And I quit. I, that was the only change that took place in my life. But it, it occurred because I knew something had happened in me. And then nine years later or so, I made a commitment to the Lord. I, you know, got to that point in life where oh, I was just miserable, absolutely miserable. And I knew that I needed to, to make a commitment to Christ. And it was no lackadaisical thing like, oh, I'm going to go to start going to church now. Now, I, I went to church and I knew, I knew what I was there for. I couldn't figure out how to how to get there. You know, I I thought, now I we you know we're from a little town. I mean, if and I say Charlie and Wanda are here, they've been to Tippecanoe. <laughs> they know how little Tippecanoe is, and everybody knows everybody. And I thought, how am I going to you know after the way I've been living, how am I just going to walk into church and everybody goes, whoa, 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 what are you doing here? You know, kind of thing. So the only thing I knew I could do was talk to my old Sunday school teacher, that was Kate Riker, and uh, I called her up one night after working a third shift, by the way, and I, I called her and asked her if I could combine and see her. She said yes. She just talked a little bit about rededicating her life and then invited me to church. Man, that was it, right? That's all I needed. I, she gave me an invitation, and that was my excuse. If anybody said, what are you doing here? Well, Miss Reichert invited me. And so the preaching went on that Sunday. I had an interim preacher. Oh, he was dead in the mud. Well, I'll tell you, there was nothing exciting about him compared to the guy that was preaching when I got saved. But nonetheless, they gave an invitation, you know, at the end. And I, I remember picked up my hymn book. I started to sing. And I mean, the Spirit of God just hit me and convicted me, put the hymn book down right away, and I went forward to dedicate my life to Christ. And I realized it was because I knew what I was there for. And there's no, no sense in just standing there singing a hymn, you know, and all four verses, you know, waiting till the end 
I just went forward immediately. And it was such a, such a non-dramatic experience, you know. And the preacher, I don't think he thought I was serious. He didn't know. He was just an interim guy who was preaching until the next Sunday when the new pastor was coming. And so he just, you know, went down. What you, what you want to do? I want to dedicate my life to Christ. Oh, okay. Now they had a little prayer. And then when they were done, they said, okay, um, folks, you come down and give the right hand of fellowship. That was the expression he used uh, to me. And so some folks came and shook my hand and so on. And I started going to church, <clears throat> was learning things. Pastor was spending time with me to uh, teach me about the Bible and all kinds of things. And then one day, I remember the first time somebody called me Brother Al. And you know that? That got me right there. That feeling of acceptance, of brotherhood, that you're a part of the assembly of God. The believers. And that made it, it, it made all the difference in my life. It changed me. I say all that to say that when Paul here speaks about being raised with Christ, a transformation occurs it is a change there is a life you have been raised from the dead even as Christ was raised from the dead and given new life and that new life is expressed outwardly as Paul goes on to share with the Colossian believers here in chapter 3 that changed life is to be expressed outwardly in some fashion You don't reach Christian maturity instantaneously. It comes step by step, little by little, and you progress, and you grow, and you begin to learn God's Word, and you, you, you seek after that goal of Christian maturity. Paul here goes on to tell the believers in Colossae concerning these things, he says to seek the things that are above. <clears throat> it's not seeking in the sense of, you know, I'm going, out, I'm going out here hunting for this stuff. No. He's talking about like setting your mind on, set your affections on. This is where your heart should be leading you on things above, not on things of the earth. Consequently, as a Christian, we are always be looking up to heavenly things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God don't be looking down at the things of the earth. They will ruin you and they will lead you astray and they will never allow you to attain to the things that Christ has waiting for us above, to the glory that will be ours. He now sits at the right hand of God in glory and there is a future awaiting us to be, well, in Romans 8, he says that we might be glorified together with him. How do you get glorified? He says, if you suffer. If you suffer with Christ.
Don't, don't think you can turn on the TV or listen on the radio to the popular expressions of Christianity along with much of the music and think this is normal Christianity. This is, this is really where it's at. You know, you, you suffer with Christ. You identify and walk with him and you pay the price, whatever it is. And you have to have a willingness to do so. So he tells them there. He says, you seek those things that are above where Christ is. He's been resurrected. That's where he is. Seated at the right hand of God. What is, what is that place? That is the place or the position of majesty. It is the position of authority. When you assume a throne, and you are seated on it, then you have power. You have authority. And then you have all the regality and majesty that goes with it. And that's what he's telling us here. One day, you do these things, and that's where you, you're seated. Now you're seated, it's a present reality. Now he tells us here that you are seated now at the right hand of God, what do you, why do I have to do anything? Why do I have to live a Christian life? Why do I have to suffer with him? Because you can lose it. It's not automatic. It's not guaranteed that just whatever you want to do, I become a Christian, I live how I want to, and automatically I'm going to be raised up to this position and place of glory. God's going to empower me with authority to help rule the world with him in his millennial reign. No, I think we all know better than that. Any cursory reading of the Bible will teach you differently. So consequently, as Paul moves on to instruct the believers there at Colossae, when he says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now the point he's making there is, is there is a, a, a sense of security there. Your life is hid with Christ in God. That's, that, you know, when you've been moved over from one realm, the domain of darkness, and you've been transferred over to the realm of light, you, know, you cannot get out of that. You know, Jesus said, I will never, him that comes to me, I'll never cast him out. Once you are in the realm of light, there's no leaving it. You're there. As a matter of fact, in that verse, when he says, I will never cast you out, it, it's a double negative. I will know never. You, that expression is used several times in the New Testament. You cannot get a stronger way to say, I'll never cast you out. It's what takes place within that realm of light that determines what you're gonna, what's going to happen to you when you meet the Lord at his judgment seat. And so he, when he tells them there to set your minds on things above, it is for a purpose. There's a reason why you do that. If you are minding, looking down at the earthly things, 
You, you know, you cannot walk the path that is going to lead to the things that God wants to glorify you with and reward you with. It's impossible. If you're looking down, you're looking at the old things of the domain of darkness. Why, you know, if God has changed you, if God has given you new life in Christ, then why not set your eyes on Him all the time? Why did you just set your eyes on Jesus to become a Christian and believe on Him? And then once that's over, I look back down at the earthly things. <laughs> Paul says, don't do that. Keep your eyes on things above. This is the way that leads to the life that God wants to bless you with. And by the way, he doesn't use the words here. You'd have to look other places for that. But he says when you've been transferred over to this new realm of light, you know, he has literally inaugurated you into the new age that's to come. He's blessed you with the life. You know, think about it. When Jesus comes back and he... Uh, defeats his enemies everything is put down on this earth that is in rebellion against him and he takes that throne that belongs to him to rule the world what 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 do you think is going to happen to us who are already christians you think we have to be born again again no if you're born again it's done for that's not going to change as we enter into christ's coming rule in his kingdom you can't, you can't undo all of that. It's already been started. That's why you have to keep your eyes on Christ above and not on the things of the earth. So <clears throat> he gives all this introduction here so that he can make a practical uh, application. If all of that is true, then what is it supposed to mean for my everyday life? From this point on, how am I supposed to live as a Christian? Well, one thing, you can quit cussing quit taking God's name in vain. That's what happened to me. That was my first little baby step as a believer. First one, and it was a tiny one. Well, in some ways, it was a big one for me because I cussed a lot. As I've told you before, and that's just the way I grew up. I had to clean all that way up. As a matter of fact, Paul tells us down here, get rid of all this filthy talk. So I had to clean it all up one day. But it didn't happen overnight. I just... I just started by not taking God's name in vain. And then, you know, we grew from there. So he goes on to tell us then, um, in verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears. He is your life. Now there's an application here that goes beyond just being a Christian. Because there is a life that he wants to give us in his kingdom. You know, the scriptures tell us that if we don't live accordingly, that we can experience a, a, another kind of death. Jerry taught on this a while back. You need to, you need to go back. Too bad we didn't record that, Jerry, because you need to go back and listen to it again. There is a distinction made in the scriptures concerning the kind of life that God wants to give us in his kingdom 
and how you can experience death if you don't attain to it. Not a physical death, but a loss of, of rule and authority and majesty in his kingdom. So when he tells us that, when he says Christ who is your life appears, if you have set your mind and your heart on things above, and I know the King James uses the word affections, well, affections, you know, in, in the day they translated the King James, it meant something different than we think of today. We, we think of emotions and feelings. That's not what he's saying, set your mind, you know, set your heart on these kinds of things. He's saying, you know, your mind, your, dis, your mental disposition, set that on things above. That's why it requires a, a decision. You have to decide what I'm going to do and what I'm going to be as a believer. And so it, the, the consequence of that then, he says, then you also will appear with him in glory. In glory. I went for the longest time, years, I couldn't, I had no clue what glory meant. Finally, you know, the scripture started just coming together. And after years of study, it began to gel. And then, then I realized when Paul told the Roman believers, if you suffer with him, then you will be glorified together with him. And Jesus has already been glorified. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. If I suffer with him like he suffered, then he's going to glorify me. I'm going to be able to rise up and sit on the throne of glory just like he does. And he wants you to do it too. He has a personal investment in your life because he died for you. But even, even more than that, even more than that, he wants you, and I wish I, I wish, I guess the Holy Spirit's gonna have to do it for me because I cannot come up with the words to express how much God wants you. It's why he made you. It's why he created us for the very reason he wants us. You know, some of us, some of you know way more about this than I do. have experienced rejection in this life. And it hurts. But if you'll cast yourself on the Lord and realize that he wants you It'll change your life. It'll make you realize that all these promises that he talks about in scripture are for me. And it's true. You just have to meet the conditions that he lays down for us. You know, he, over and over in scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, God says, if you do this, then I'll do this. But if you don't do this, then I'm not going to do it. It's all up to us. What are we going to do? So, <clears throat> consequently then, the action that we're to do, and this is an imperative here, he's telling us, you do this, you put to death. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly. Oh, that's, that's looking down at the earthly things. Put to death these things. Now, it's amazing to me things that Paul Paul uses here, these 
things that he's admonishing the Colossian believers about is sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. All of these are related to and a part of an, out, an, an external things. In other words, these are outward things that we have to deal with in our life. And to realize that in the, in the first century, in dealing with the Colossians, they had the same issues going on then as we do today. Oh, we complain and we think about how rampant these things are on TV and in movies and books. It was no different in Paul's day. And you look at the lists of things and sins even in other passages. It's incredible. Paul always starts with sexual immorality. The emphasis then is to clean your life up, put these things to death. Now he's not saying that all the Colossians were doing all of these things. He's saying that when you were living in that realm of darkness, this is what you were subject to. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. There was a point in time when you were living in this realm over here, subject to all of these things. Now you're in a new realm. You're in the kingdom of the son of his love. Colossians 1.13 tells us. And so he says, don't walk in those things anymore. You used to walk or live in this realm over here. Now you're living in a whole new realm. Live like it. Put to death these things. Stop looking down at the things of earth. Get your mind, your mental disposition, your mental faculties zeroed in on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells us in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Did you notice what he's talking about there? It's all things that have to do with the mouth. It all has to do with things that come from the inside of us. The sexual sins, that was all outside. Now he's dealing with the inside. And he's talking about matters related to the tongue. He's talking about matters that emanate from our heart and come out through our mouth. Anger and wrath. These are interesting words. Anger, anger has to do more with, um, I guess what you would call um, an outburst. It's the idea of cutting loose, bursting loose. Whereas wrath has to do more with the kind of a settled attitude that you have. So they, they're closely related. Galatians chapter 5, uh, the King James there just says wrath, but other translations say outbursts of wrath, or the ESV calls them fits of wrath. Put that away from you, he says. 
And by the way, outbursts of wrath, though, just like just like this settled attitude of, of wrath, anger can become the same way because we can get this pattern, this attitude in our life where it's just something we do. We don't even think about it. You're put those kinds of things to death. Get them out of your life. Malice. It just means being bad. <laughs> means being malicious. Malice, malicious, evil, having ill will, the desire to hurt somebody with words. And I suspect most of us at some point in our life have been hurt by words through things people have said. Probably we've hurt other people with our words and weren't even aware of it. So he's just kind of saying, you know, clean up that kind of talk. That shouldn't be a part of your speech. Slander. Slander is speech that's intended to hurt. You did it on purpose. You meant to hurt somebody when you slandered them or, you, or you're, you know, you're doing emotional injury to that person and they feel it inside. Uh, it's demeaning. King James uses the word blaspheme there. Well, it's the idea that you know, when you blaspheme, you can blaspheme God, and that's usually what we think of. But you can blaspheme another person too, you know. That that's that's a reality. And then he calls it obscene talk. This just plain old, disgraceful, filthy, dirty talk. That's not to be a part of a Christian's life. And so it's interesting to me that Paul talking about these things, you know. It's like, well, the beginning of your Christian life ought to be reflective of these things. Putting away all these outward sexual things, immorality and so on, and the way you talk. What a way to start your Christian life, by cleaning things up in those two areas. That's what really Paul's telling the Colossian believers. And so then he goes to tell them all then, Regarding those things in verse 9, do not lie one to another. Now you notice that phrase, one to another, or one another. He's talking here about the, the assembly. Those who, when they come to meet together as God's people in his church, you don't lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self or the old man. That is an activity that has happened already. When he says you have died, you have been raised. These are things that have taken place already. And because of that consequence, he says put off the old man. Don't, don't, you know, put your, turn your life over to Christ and say, I want to become a Christian and then try to still live like the old man does. Put it off. Don't lie to each other with its practices and have put on the new, the new man. There's a change that has occurred. Just putting off and putting on, it's just the, the, the normal word that you'd have for putting clothes on. It's like you would be getting dressed, you know. I can't, I was trying a little while ago, I could just barely button this coat now, so that tells you uh, how I used to be. 
There was a time when I could button it, just not anymore, or comfortably. And so he put this new man on. There's a, there's, it's intentional. It's purposeful. It requires a decision on your part and mine that I am now be going to begin living a new way of life. And I'm not going to act like and conduct myself the way I did when I was living back in that domain of darkness. I've got to change if I want God's approval. He says there, you, which is the, the, this new self is being renewed in knowledge. Now that's a word that means um, a full knowledge, a mature knowledge. That tells us something about the direction that God wants us to be moving in our Christian life to a, a, a mature knowledge after the image of its creator. Well, that, that runs us, you know, as soon as we read something like that, that takes us right back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, 27, 28, where God tells us we are made in his image. Now we are to reflect that image by the choices we make in life. He says, in this realm, in this way of living, there is not Greek and Jew. There is not circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarian. Now, you know, you talk about the uncircumcised. The barbarian was a little bit worse than the uncircumcised. And the, the Scythian was even worse than that. They were the lowest of the low in culture. <coughs> You're not a slave, you're not free, but Christ is all and in all. All of these cultural distinctions that were evident in the life of the Colossian believers there in Asia Minor, all of these things were in front of them every day. They faced life just like you and I do. We know what life is like when we walk out these doors and we go to our places where we do our shopping, the grocery store, you know, wherever. We meet with people where we work and, all, and we see distinctions being made all the time. Paul tells us though, in Christ, these distinctions are gone. None of these things exist. And so when believers come together like we have this morning and we meet in an assembly like this, we really ought to be conscious of the fact that these cultural distinctions are gone. You know, that's why James, that's why James said when a, when a, a, a poor guy comes in and he's not dressed very well, and he says, hey, right over there in that corner, that's where you sit. And then somebody comes in, he's finely dressed, and he's got, you know, gold chains on and whatever. And you sit right up here, right on the front row. And James condemns that. Everybody gets treated alike in God's assembly. Everybody is on an equal basis. There is no distinction. And so when it comes to living the Christian life, God's going to treat us that way in his judgment seat. He's not going to look at somebody who's poor and somebody who's rich. And, you know, matter of fact, you go back to the Torah. You remember how uh, on certain occasions God told him, you don't pay any attention to whether the guy's poor or rich. You just judge him. And you execute judgment equally. 
no matter what. And he'll deal with us that way one day. So if he's going to do that for us one day, why shouldn't we be practicing that kind of Christianity right here, now? So all of these things are practical outcomes, and there's going to be more to come later, next week, Lord willing. But all of these things are practical outcomes of having been raised with Christ. And as Ken said in that some hymn we sang, I don't remember which one. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. You know, I, I, I was reading this one song here. Oh, it's not a song, it's a hymn, right? It's worshiping the Lord. Christ arose. And he tells us there, he arose a victor from where? The dark domain. Where did Jesus go when he died? He went to the dark domain so that we might be removed from that dark domain and transferred over to one of light where his son is, where his son's kingdom is, so that we might be participants in the life of Christ and share in that life. And that's why he tells him, your life is hid with Christ in God. Well, that really makes me feel good. I like the comfort. I like the assurance of knowing that my life is hid with Christ in God. I cannot lose it. But boy, oh boy, does he come and nail the fact that I need to live a, a different kind of life. I need to walk in a new way of living. And that's what the resurrection is really points to. It's what it's all about. It's a new way of living. It's, it's, it's not just the power of Christ that he rose from the dead and he conquered everything and all those things are true. And it's true for me when I receive Christ as my Savior. But it also means I need to be living a new life. Change. And I hope that you understand that. I hope that you see that a new way of living is something that will lead you to the greatest reward of glory that you can possibly imagine. And I come back to that expression that Brother Powell used one time talking about the judgment seat of Christ and our rewards. And he says, if you've lived faithfully, if you've suffered with Christ and all these things, he says, it will be your finest hour. I think Winston Churchill made some kind of a phrase like that famous. But you know, when you apply it to us and we go through the things we have to go through life, it will be your finest hour. You will never regret, never regret having given up the things of this earth and kept your eyes off of those things and put your eyes, your mind, your heart, set all those things on Christ. You will never be sorry you did it. Or you might look around at your friends and you see the kind of life they're living and you're like, oh, man, wouldn't that be fun to be doing that? Uh, but wait a minute. I've given my life over to Jesus and I've determined that I'm going to be living for him. Then don't give it up. Don't sacrifice that 
for a few moments of momentary, temporary pleasure here on this earth. Because that will not pay. That will actually destroy you. In the power of the resurrection, there is life. And there is a life to come. Let's pray. Father, indeed we want to express our gratitude, our thankfulness for what Jesus did on the cross. How he suffered for us, how he openly was shamed before the whole world. And yet he willingly did that, that we might have life. Knowing that he would enter the grave and that he would be raised from the dead to life. A life that is blessed and honored by God and that you will bless and honor us with if we're willing to live that kind of life before you. So, Lord, speak to our hearts during this invitation. Let us be sure that we have given ourselves over to the Lord Jesus, that we have determined that we're going to walk with him so that we might experience that coming, that coming glory that he wants to reward us with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.